Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, we're a, a day ahead of Easter here. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing fabulous, and I hope you are, Jason. It's uh Wonderful Easter weekend. I'm always excited for the the <laughs> holiday weekend. It's it's a fun time of year. You know, you get to be outside a little bit more. It's it's good. Well, there's there's a lot about Easter. You know, it is it's a it's a time to reflect um, how wonderful things are and the promises made to us and um, and I and I hope that families are preparing for tomorrow. This whole week has been special. Uh, and, you know, I hope everybody's gotten their Easter clothes and their Easter lilies and their boutonnieres and uh, those things in preparation uh, for uh, tomorrow. Um, it, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where um, it, it is a time to uh, reflect on um, – how lucky we are, give thanks for our loved ones, uh, for those of us who have lost a loved one in the last year, uh, to give thanks for uh, the promises made uh, to us and our knowledge of, of um, uh, the fact that our loved ones are in a good place um, and, that, and that we are too, you know. It's the kind of thing where um, – uh, we need to appreciate uh, the life that's given us and, and the fact that um, we don't deserve <laughs> how good we've got it uh, to a great degree. Um, uh, and the, the fact that, that uh, we need to give thanks for, for that. Um, you know, t- tomorrow is uh, probably the busiest, not probably, it is the busiest day uh, in churches across t- uh, the world. Um, uh, and it's, uh, it- it's for, the- for those among us who don't attend church every week, this, this is the Sunday that uh, most of us are not going to miss. <laughs> because <laughs> it's too important uh, to us. Uh, so it is a special time, and, and certainly we would encourage um, uh, everyone to, to be there uh, tomorrow uh, if you can. Uh, it's just uh, it's important. You know, um, uh, one of the things uh, I think sometimes young people particularly um, – uh, are are curious about church in terms of you know sometimes we act like it's it's uh, for the good people when in fact uh, uh, church is a place for sinners because we were we're all there <laughs> you know there's not one among us who uh, uh, doesn't need forgiveness uh, that's for sure and there's not one among us that doesn't have something to be thankful for it might be something small it might be something large but uh, uh, we all have something to be thankful for and we all have something to ask forgiveness for and so uh, it's it's a time where we need to be doing that and Easter's the perfect time uh, to do it uh, and it's a day to celebrate so it's um, it, it's the highlight of the Christian year, and and we need to be there. <laughs> so 
uh, I would certainly encourage folks. Now, with that, one of the things uh, that I wanted to talk about this morning uh, is uh, those among us uh, that are uh, disabled or special. And, uh, you know, there are lots of families with special children, uh, and there are uh, lots of questions surrounding uh, how to uh, deal uh, with our uh, financially or legally, if you will, with uh, special children. And, of course, uh, everyone has uh, abilities and talents, and we need to acknowledge that even when folks cannot uh, participate in everything that uh, that others of us uh, can enjoy, uh, we have to find the things that make us, um, uh, you know, that we can enjoy. Because um, uh, we're all unique, you know, every one of us, we're all unique. And uh, so some of us... Um, uh, find that uh, we're that there are some limitations, and that's okay too. We can we can celebrate those, uh, but um, uh, part of the question I think for families is: All right, I, I, we have a child who is on Medicaid, and when a when a person, whether a child or an adult, is on Medicaid, uh, there are strict limitations on how much property they can have, what kind of property they can have um, in order to stay on Medicaid because for most of these children in particular, uh, most of these people, because some of our special children, if you will, are actually adults, (laughs) but they started out with with, uh, huge limitations. And so... um, it's uh, oftentimes Medicaid is far more important to them than uh, any amount of money that can be given to them. So families with special children uh, have to be particularly careful as to how they um, uh, leave money, if you will, uh, or property uh, to or for the benefit of these children. Now, I would say this, so there are some families who are fortunate enough to have another child that is trustworthy and loves their brother or sister uh, and can be depended upon to be there for uh, that um, sibling who has uh, special needs. Well, uh, I would say, and, and oftentimes what these families will do, and I think this is not a good way to do it, is they'll leave additional money for that um, uh, for the healthy child uh, with the expectation that the extra money will be used for the benefit of the special child. And um, there are better ways to, to um, take care of, of the special needs of our children than doing it that way. Um, you know, there are, you know, when you don't have special needs, there are also times when, when parents wrong, you know, what they'll do is they'll go to a bank and they'll open up a joint checking account, uh, which is always joint with right of survivorship. It's rare when a bank would do it otherwise, uh, with the expectation that they're actually just doing it for convenience so that the child can uh, pay the 
pay the bills, make sure that nothing funky is going on. But there's not an intention for that child to receive the money that's in that account when the parent dies. The, the expectation is whatever's in the account will be shared equally among all the children in that family. So it's sort of the same thing because <laughs> that's the wrong way to do it, go because oftentimes a child will think, well, if mom hadn't uh, wanted me to have that money, she wouldn't have set up the account this way where I'm entitled to it upon her death. And the other children uh, have great difficulty uh, under those circumstances getting it to where mom actually intended it. Well, you have the same problem when you have a special needs uh, child and you leave money to a different child just simply expecting because there has been love and affection. But what what the parent is missing is the fact that life changes for people. Circumstances change. Um, the child that you leave the money to might end up in a horrible financial situation where they're going through a divorce or they've been sued or or they move away to Alaska and they're nowhere near where that special child might be living or where the needs are. So, um, uh, Or it could just be a situation where uh, the child is uh, uh, changes to a degree to where they feel like, well, it's my money it's, uh, and, and they use it and it doesn't go where it's intended. So there, there are ways to protect your special child, and to be and to know that that child is protected, um, and so you can sleep at night, and, and you know you have that that you know you're doing what's right when you set it up properly. So I know we take need to take a break. So when we come back, I want to talk to folks about how to do it right. Excellent. That's going to be a very informative discussion, and we'll do that right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. I want to remind you, you can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website, WGALaw.com. Bill, we're having a discussion about uh, loved ones with special needs or disabilities, and that requires a, a different level and different plan when it comes to asset mm-hmm. protection. So you were just uh, about to dive into some of those differences and some of those things we need to take into account. Exactly. And so it's like, okay, how do you do it right? Um, and you have to understand that if you have a loved one, who is on Medicaid. Now, this is true for adults, seniors, children, doesn't matter. If you have a loved one on Medicaid, what you don't want to do is leave money directly to that loved one. Now, you might say, well, okay, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, if your will says I leave everything to my spouse, and your spouse is on Medicaid. That's leaving all your property directly to your spouse when you could 
have uh, a uh, what's called a supplemental needs trust that is um, uh, actually allowed by federal law uh, that protects the property and can be used to supplement the needs of of your spouse who's on Medicaid if you should die first. Well, that's a no-brainer. The same thing applies if you have a child or grandchild who is on Medicaid and has those kinds of special needs because the Medicaid as a program is really important. It's what keeps them alive. It's what it gives them their housing. It's what gives them their medicine. It, it, uh, it is uh, critical to their living. And if you make a gift to that child directly, you could actually imperil the child's ability to stay on, uh, on Medicaid, or it will take the child off Medicaid until that money's gone. So in essence, you've just wasted the money. It's not being used to supplement the child's care or to make the child's life better. Uh, and so if, if you're in that situation, uh, how do you deal with it? Well, if you're a parent or grandparent trying to do what's right, then what you do is one of the parties needs to create a special needs trust. And if, if the trust is created with the money of the parent or grandparent, in other words, it's not created with the money that belongs to the child itself. And you might say, well, how does a special needs child end up with money that's their money <laughs> as opposed to money that belongs to the parent or grandparent? Well, it's pretty simple. Number one, a parent or grandparent screwed up and left money in their will or trust directly to a special needs child. So once the, the parent dies and the money is left to, the, to say all my children equally, or let's say there's no will at all and the special needs child inherits by being a child of the parent, uh, guess what? Well, that money belongs to the child and not the parent. So that's a different solution that I'm going to go into in a second. Or let's say that the child was in a terrible automobile accident and received a, a settlement um, uh, from the insurance company or the other party, the negligent party, um, uh, and so that money, again, belongs to the child. It doesn't belong to the parent or grandparent. So the first situation is the grandparent or parent wants to leave property for the benefit of a special needs child. Well, it's called a third-party special needs trust, and it, it can even be a revocable trust until the parent or grandparent dies – um, and then upon that death, when it goes to the special needs child, or for the benefit of the special needs child, it's irrevocable. And there are special terms. Uh, it's not a typical trust, uh, but you get to appoint who you want to administer. That's the trustee. And it, typically, it's going to be for the benefit of that special child for the child's lifetime. And here's the nice thing. Because it's set up by a parent or grandparent, a third party, not the child itself, 
the whatever's left in the trust when the special needs child dies can then be distributed to the other children or grandchildren, or it can go to charity, uh, but there's not what's called a payback provision to Medicaid in these trusts. And these trusts are designed to make the child's life better, to supplement uh, in ways that are far broader than um, than the child could have otherwise. And so that part is so, so important, okay? So this is where the onus is on the parent or grandparent to make sure that there's a trust. Now, if one trust is set up, particularly if it's a standalone trust, then anybody who wants to benefit the child can leave money or property into that trust, and it will work. Um, so that's really important for parents and grandparents to know that they can do. And yes, if they have another uh, child who is a great dependable child, they can make that child a trustee. It doesn't have to be a corporate trustee. Uh, now, I will say this. I'll give a shout-out to the Corporation for Guardianship. It's a group, uh, fiduciary group out of Greensboro, but they're statewide. And if a family doesn't have a trustworthy, good trustee for a special needs child, uh, the Corporation for Guardianship is a fabulous choice. Uh, they're very reasonably priced. Uh, they're much less expensive than any bank uh, corporate fiduciary such as that. They're also much less expensive than appointing an attorney or CPA to be trustee as well. So for many families, the Corporation for Guardianship is actually um, uh, an excellent choice. Actually, I need to invite them here as a guest just so folks can understand how they, uh, how they work because it's uh, very helpful to have a corporate fiduciary because because all of these trusts for special children uh, have limitations on how money can be spent, how much can be spent, uh, what it can be spent on, what you can give, what you can't give, uh, those kinds of things. And you're looking at me funny like we need to take another break. So I, um, when we come back, I want to talk about what do you do with uh, money that's inherited or belongs to a special needs child? How do you deal with that? Because that's totally different, and you don't want to ever get it mixed up with when a parent or grandparent can establish a trust, what we call a third-party trust. If money goes into the hands of a child, you need to know what to do with it right away. So I'll, I'll handle that when we get back. Excellent. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong. He's Bill Alexander, and we're talking all about uh, Bill's special needs children and having disabilities and how that affects our estate planning and asset protection planning. And just before the break, we were discussing a scenario where uh, a child may have been given uh, an amount of money, whether it's through uh, some of the various methods that we mentioned before. And we got to do something about it. Okay. 
like, uh, for instance, you have a special needs child, uh, and, of course, when I say child, a, a child can be 50 years old. <laughs> okay. So it's not necessarily young children, uh, but uh, but the bottom line is that you have a special needs child, and the, and the child uh, has inherited money or someone has given them money or um, – uh, Maybe they were injured and they received a settlement uh, or went to trial and got a judgment and uh, they've got now they've got a lot of money that actually belongs to them. Now, if they don't do something with it properly, then uh, when their Medicaid is reviewed, um, they will actually be thrown off Medicaid until the money is actually, quote, spent down or converted to non-countable resources. So uh, it's a very important question to be handled uh, correctly. And so um, now, um, what do you do? Well, the first thing depends on how much it is. Because if it's a relatively small amount of money, uh, let's say it's fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, you can do one of of uh, two things or both. Now, if it's fifteen thousand dollars or under, then you can contribute that money to a, a, what's called an able account, A B L E. Uh, they, if you've never heard of it before, it's fairly new. It's only been around in North Carolina for a couple years at this point. Um, now, it has some limitations, but it has some great benefits. Uh, the limitation is <laughs> that you can only contribute total amount, $15,000 per year, to an ABLE account, and it has an up word limitation. In other words, it cannot contain more than $100,000 in an ABLE account. And you think, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I set it up? Well, uh, it's uh, through the North Carolina Treasurer's Office. And you go online, and basically you can set up an ABLE account. uh, And anyone can contribute uh, up to $15,000, but it's $15,000 total from all sources. So it's not like one person can contribute fifteen dollars and another person can, can, can't do that. It's $15,000 per year total from all sources. But if, if the child receives, say, $10,000 uh, and you don't have something needed to spend it on, then contributing it to an ABLE account is, is an easy way to make uh, it work because once it's contributed, it's a non-countable asset. It will not impinge upon the child's Medicaid at all. Now, you can also spend it down. So let's say if you have twenty or $30,000 uh, in an inheritance or settlement, then uh, maybe if there is a need, like, for instance, a wheelchair van, uh, and those are not cheap, by the way, uh, most of the folks who need them will buy a used one, but even a good used wheelchair van can cost fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars, and a new one's a whole lot more than that. 
Uh, and so most of the time, families are looking for a, a good used <laughs> wheelchair van. Uh, and so let's say you spend $20,000 on a van and you have $10,000 left over. Well, the child can't have $10,000. So guess what? You can contribute that to an ABLE account and you don't have to set up a special needs trust because an ABLE account will will take care of that for you, what goes into the ABLE account. Now, here's another thing. Um, all right, and I'm going to come back to the ABLE account. Because let's say, for instance, that the child receives $100,000. Uh, that's a, obviously a nice gift. Um, so what do you do? Well, obviously you can't contribute that to an ABLE account. Now, it may be that that money can be used uh, for the purchase of a home or for a wheelchair van, but you still have more than $15,000 left over, a whole lot more uh, typically. And so what do you do? Uh, well, under those circumstances, you have to set up what's called a D4A special needs Trust Now, D4A is simply a, uh, an acronym that lawyers use to designate um, a, a special – it's actually under Internal Revenue Code 1596, uh, D4A. <laughs> but, but, now you're just showing off, Bill. <laughs> but, uh, but, well, actually, there are a couple other numbers in there, too. But <laughs> – uh, but but the, the, there are regulations for it, and so this is where this is what we call a self-settled trust because it's a trust that's being created by or with the money of the person who's on Medicaid. Uh, now the big difference is that what these uh, it has to be approved uh, by the state. The trust does, and it's also uh, limited as to who can create a D4A trust, but now federal law has been changed. So if you have a child who is an adult and not otherwise incompetent, in other words, um, say a 50-year-old special needs child who is lucid and uh, but otherwise disabled can create their own D4A special needs trust, uh, but a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, a court can establish a D4A trust as well. Uh, but it's limited to who can tr set it up. Uh, but the new rule is that the child, if capable of doing it, can set up a trust for themselves. And that's that was a good change in federal law. Um, but how the trust can be used is very, very limited. And that's what's really important. And so it's important with these trusts to either have a corporate fiduciary like the Corporation of Guardianship or a trustee that uh, knows how to call <laughs> the Corporation of Guardianship or another corporate fiduciary. And so they're on tap as an advisor because it's real easy to mismanage a D4A uh, trust. Uh, but these trusts are wonderful and they work. Uh, and... Uh, one of the things about them is the fact that um, uh, that's important. The big difference between a self-settled D4A special needs trust and one that a parent or grandparent uh, establishes is that a D4A trust must 
have a payback provision to Medicaid. So in essence, the trust is going to say, if there's anything left in this trust when the child dies, then uh, Medicaid gets the first right to what's left uh, in the trust. And so I've had some where Medicaid will take everything, and I've had others uh, where uh, Medicaid uh, only gets a little bit because they actually didn't provide that much care over the years, uh, and the family gets the rest. But Medicaid gets the first shot at whatever's left, and that's called Medicaid estate recovery. And it's required to be in uh, a self-settled uh, D4A trust where the child is creating it for the benefit of himself or herself or a family member is doing it on their behalf. Um, so there are some differences between ABLE accounts and D4A trusts. They're both, in essence, self-settled trusts, if you will. Uh, so I know you were going to take another break, but when we come back, I'll talk a little bit about the differences between an ABLE account and a D4A Trust. We'll dive into those differences, and I want to remind you, if you're uh, in a family situation like this and you may need some help setting up some of these accounts or you want some advice, why not schedule an appointment with Bill? You can call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000, or you can go online to wgalaw.com. A quick break and back and more with Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this Saturday morning. We are talking about the impact of disabilities and uh, how to have asset protection and estate planning for a child with special needs. And Bill, we learned about ABLE accounts. We learned about <laughs> D4A trusts. I'm learning so many new terms today, but um, we're going to kind of get into how those two are different. Well, they're very different. And actually, the, the big difference is between a trust that is created by someone other than the special needs child or for the benefit, such as a parent or grandparent. Uh, those are totally different than the ones where we're using the child's own money uh, to set up the account. Now, the first thing I would say is that if you know you're setting up a D4A trust because there is a bunch of money that's been inherited or awarded to a child, the first thing I would do, and this sounds uh, uh, awkward, I guess, is to contribute 15000 of that money to an ABLE account. Now, an ABLE account does have the same limitation that a D4A trust has in that if there's anything left in the ABLE account at the death of the child, then there is a Medicaid payback provision in the ABLE accounts. So... You have to understand that. But you'd say, well, if I'm setting up a D4A trust anyway, why should I have an ABLE account? And here's why. The, the fact of the matter is that ABLE accounts, uh, when they were created, uh, 
have broader language as to what the money can be used for. So what I'm getting at is your D4A trust has limitations. Your ABLE account has limitations as to what the money can be used for. But the ABLE account does not have as many limitations. So in essence, if you have both a D4A trust and an ABLE account, you can fund some things out of the ABLE account that you cannot fund out of the D4A account. So, so in essence, having both gives the trustee the, the best of all possible worlds in trying to support a special child. And that's what you're – now, if you have a grandparent-created trust, then you have even more limitations because they have far fewer uh, – a third-party special needs trust has far fewer limitations as to how the money can be used than either an ABLE account or a D4A. But when it's their own money, you're limited to a D4A or an ABLE account. So having an ABLE account – it's just a quirk in the law, but hey, let's use those quirks when we can to benefit our family, uh, our loved ones. And so having an ABLE account is terrific, and then the balance being in a D4A trust is absolutely fabulous. Um, and I'm not aware of any prohibition about a D4A being able to contribute to an ABLE account um, uh, because because it's a non-countable transfer. And to the degree that you've spent all the money in an ABLE account, and then you can transfer more money to the ABLE account from the D4A trust, then that, again, is a blessing. Um, but in essence, in order to have a D4A trust, you need to go to an attorney who uh, does special needs law. Um, many elder law attorneys do special needs, and obviously at W.G. Alexander & Associates, we do special needs trusts as well. We love to do them. They're wonderful. Um, and so it's real important uh, for that to be done. Now, you don't need a lawyer to set up an ABLE account. You just go to the North Carolina Treasurer's Office and set up your own account, and that's fine. And, and actually, if you go to... An attorney, they should be telling you to set up an ABLE account as well because of the, uh, the greater flexibility that an ABLE account can give a family in supporting a child. But unfortunately, ABLE accounts are very limited in how much you can contribute each year and the overall limitation in the account, whereas a D4A trust has no limitation at all in terms of how much you can actually uh, contribute to it, nor does a third-party trust have any limitation on how much can it can be uh, held in trust. And, you know, sometimes uh, I get the question, well, how much is enough, particularly when it's a third-party trust, where a parent or grandparent is actually setting it up? And what I have to say is, if you're doing an equal division of your property among your children, give that special needs child at least an equal portion. Don't cut them off. And uh, and the reason is real simple. You, we can't depend on Medicaid providing in the future as much as it provides today. Congress can always change what Medicaid provides. And so we need to be cautious about assuming 
that Medicaid's going to provide everything. Um, it, it provides a lot, but uh, every child who's on Medicaid needs supplemental money. There, there's no one that doesn't need to be supplemented. That's just a fact of life. And the question is, how much does it need to be supplemented? And the, and the problem is, is that, that Medicaid may not uh, do as much in the future as it does today. And that's an important factor to consider. And if you're doing a third-party trust, then it really uh, – whatever's left in the trust can then go uh, to other family members. There's no Medicaid payback, and that's important to remember. So if you're setting it up for your, your own child or your grandchild, there's no payback provision. So uh, when, when the child dies, it, it can, in fact, be distributed to other family members and stay in the family. And so, to me, I would fund uh, a special needs trust, third-party special needs trust, uh, as as much as a person has to be able to do it. Well, that makes plenty of sense. And again, if, if you need help sorting this out, why don't you get a hold of Bill? Go online to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website, WGALaw.com. Or you can schedule an appointment by calling 919 256 7,919-256-7,000. A quick break and back with more of Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're uh, heading into Easter tomorrow. And I know before we wrap up the show here, you said you had a correction you wanted to issue. Well, I do. A few weeks ago, uh, you know, because I do focus on income tax uh, as well as estate tax. And, of course, under the new tax, you know, last weekend was tax weekend. We all have, you know, we're all hopefully send their sigh of relief. We got it over with, Uh, even though most of us, uh, at least we have a better feeling for how this new tax act is washing out for us. Um, I know there are a lot of us that are really disappointed in the fact that we didn't really get a tax break and lots of us had to pay more, including myself. <laughs> so Not no that su- anyone's complaining. No surprise. Well, I won't say that. And I would say, yeah, a lot of us are complaining, <laughs> but – Anyway, I was trying to give some ideas on how we might avoid uh, uh, tax, in other words, how to reduce our taxes. And one of the things I said a few weeks ago was was corrected, and fortunately I have a lot of friends who are CPAs, and some of them even listen. Uh, and um, one, of the th- you know, one of the things that I mentioned about saving taxes is bundling, you know. In other words, uh, one year of uh, basically using your, um, uh, a file, you know, filing uh, with preserving um, and using your standard deduction, and then the next year pushing all of your actual itemized deductions into uh, one year by making them either at the beginning of the year or at the end of the year, depending on 
you know, which year you're doing it and that sort of thing. But bundling every other year uh, your deductions. And, of course, one of the things I mentioned was, well, maybe with the new tax act, uh, because there's no penalty for filing separately anymore like there has been in the past, that I thought, well, maybe there's possibility that one spouse could itemize and the other one could take the standard deduction. And, and my good friend Mike Menicus, who is a wonderful CPA in the Raleigh area, um, he, he basically left me a message and said, Bill, no, can't do that. Uh, you know, and I, truthfully, I knew in past years you couldn't do it, but I wasn't sure whether if the new tax act actually gave us the possibility or not. And Mike says, nope, can't do it. <laughs> so, in other words, a married couple can file separately, and there's no penalty, but both must either take the standard deduction or both must itemize. Dang. I, you know. And that's uh, one of the nice things about uh, uh, thinking outside the box. That's the way you get to better results. But, you know, when you're thinking outside the box, you always need to have someone to bounce the ideas off of. So I appreciate Mike Menicus out there. Uh, I know he does a great job, and we appreciate him. And and uh, for those looking for a good CPA, he's he's one of them. <laughs> so, and I know uh, the other thing too. I wanted to make sure that I wished everyone a wonderful Easter uh, and, and wish you all well from the bottom of my heart. Yeah, and I know you mean that, Bill, because yeah, uh, you care very much about the audience and the listeners and the community here. So. Uh, that's the very nice well wishes for a happy Easter. I want to remind everyone before we get out of here that you can find more about Bill online at WGALaw.com. There's so many resources available there. You can schedule uh, or register to attend one of the seminars. The next one coming up in May, it's WGALaw.com. You can catch Bill's podcast, the Asset Protection Today podcast. Lots of great, informative, digestible nuggets there for you in terms of audio. You can find that online at wgalaw.com or in the Apple Podcast Store or in the Google Play Store. You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And you can also pick up Bill's book, Money Secrets, with Bill and Mike. You can find that on Amazon. Again, it's Money Secrets with Bill and Mike. More great tips from Bill if you want to find that in book form. Well, we are just about out of time. Again, 919-256-7000 if you need to schedule an appointment with Bill. Maybe you need uh, to uh, you have a loved one with special needs or disabilities and you found our discussion today informative. You can follow up with Bill by calling 919-256-7000. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander here on News Radio 680. WPTF. Have a wonderful Easter.